The question, though, is really is the GOAT a quarterback? Because, like, these other positions, like receiver and defensive players. And it ain't mine in what I picked. It ain't mine in what I picked. Is Brady yeah. the GOAT in yours, or did you pick somebody else? Nope. I didn't even pick Who'd quarterback. You pick? Who'd you go, Doc? I went with the legend Jerry Rice. With Mark Davis, Chris Kameinhart, Luke Rule, and Nick the Doc Skirkowitz. Hello and welcome to this My Miami Heat stole game two of the NBA Finals. And now the NBA Finals is tied at one apiece, heading back to South Beach episode of All About the Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Davis, live and excited from the sack house. Join alongside as always. Usually three great co-hosts, but I will settle for two of those three co-hosts as I'm joined alongside Mr. Luke Rule and Mr. Nick, the Docs Kirkwins. Boys, as you can tell, and you can hear my voice, I had a hell of a weekend. The Miami Heat stole game two, put those fucking brooms away. There will be no sweep. Luke, how are you doing this weekend and tonight, my Uh, friend? No, I'm doing great, you know. Just, you know, celebrating the weekend a little long today. Nothing wrong with that, brother. Nice margaritas. Taking the rest of the week off, yeah. Uh, We've got got a whole margaritas on deck tonight. Hell yeah. What's the key ingredient in the margarita tonight? Oh, it's the the tequila, yeah. The tequila. Yeah, tequila. And Doc. Ask that question, Mark. Yeah. Doc, I know you're not on. Only ingredient matters. And Doc, I know you're not on the margarita train, but I know you're having a great night. Tell me that you had a great weekend as well. Oh, fantastic weekend. Uh, just relax with the family. Um, nice to see Miami actually come out and shoot more than 30% from the field. So that was a nice change of pace. Uh, Jimmy Buckets, I didn't see what it is. I don't remember what his final line was, but I'm pretty sure he shot better than his normal 10%, his three for 70. Uh, so that was good as well. But uh, other than that, can't complain, man. Yeah, and speaking of Miami, Doc, Jimmy had 21. But more importantly, they stole game two out there in Denver. Now they'll be traveling back to Miami for uh, Wednesday's game, where game three is honestly, I think, a pivotal game for the Miami Heat. Don't want to fall down 2-1 because then game four is a must-win. We'll reach that topic when we break down game three. But, Doc, Miami stole game two. What was the difference between game two to game one for Miami as they did win 111-108? to uh, execution, execution first and foremost. Like I said, uh, Miami actually came out shooting the ball well. Max Struess had an unbelievable start to the game. Uh, Vincent was just lights out all game long, carrying, putting that team on their back. Uh, Adebayo took a little bit to get going, I think, uh, but not a bad game from him by any means. I mean, you look at his performance from game one, it kind of looks like a step back. But overall, I mean, that's about what you expect from Bam. That's what I'm looking for. Um, so just seeing the difference coming out and and playing just better all around basketball. Yeah, and I agree with you, Doc. I, like you said, execution is the key. I felt like coaching was a lot bigger. I think Spolster had the boys ready to go. They went more of a zone, forcing Joker to get the ball above the free throw line. Because if you do that, you force those passing lanes out. If you let him touch the ball while you're in a zone underneath the rim, he could pass all day. If he's getting triple doubles, it's gonna be hard to stop him. But hey, they're zero and three when Joker scores forty and Luke. Jimmy did not eat butts this game. Is this the Jimmy that we're going to get for the remainder of this series, or is they going to start to fall back and Jimmy's going to start to become a little more inconsistent? And do you think the Nuggets still going to win the series? So this is just the NBA following the script over here. 
So, I mean, we're, we're going to take it down to Game 7. They're just going to go flip-flop games all the way to Game 7. The Nuggets are going to take it. That's fine. My next so you prediction from, now. You, you went from a sweep to seven games. I love it. After one game, yeah. Doc. Yeah, it's the NBA playing the system here. They want to get that extra money, the TV deals. You know, Every series goes seven. Yeah, so. Right, it's either going to be a sweep or seven. Oh, hey, man. Well, I'm okay with seven because then that actually shows that Miami deserved to be in the series. And, Doc, do you think, though, like the same question, do you think Jimmy – He's going to start to get his groove back. He was a little more facilitating, still not as aggressive for some reason. The last seven games, he's kind of fallen off being aggressive, taking more free throws, which is where he lives normally. But do you expect Jimmy to start getting more aggressive as the series starts to progress now going to game three? Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, watching from game six and game seven and, and seeing the early shooting troubles that he was having and watching him just dime the ball out. I mean, I've, between the first two games of this series and the last two of, of the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm seeing a lot of shots that are Jimmy Butler shots, Jimmy Bucket shots, and he's just not taking them. Um, I don't know if he's afraid to shoot or if he's looking a – I don't know what his reason is. I mean, I get it with the poor percentage. I mean, even in – even yesterday's game, he shot better than he has been, but uh, still only – you know, still less than 37% from the field, which uh, is not helpful, but um, – I don't know. I, he's he's got to step up. I think he's got to take charge of this team. I think he's got to be a leader, um, and that starts with not not diming the ball out every time you drive or when you have open high percentage shots. I will disagree with you on the leader part. He definitely seems to still be that that vocal leader, that that inspirational leader in the locker room. Because he told Max Streis after game one, dude, I don't give a shit if you're if you're over ten, over twenty. If you're open and I kick it to you, you fucking shoot the ball. And like you said, it showed off big. He had four threes in the first quarter, had 12 points, 12 big points as Miami was up 11 and then fell down 15. So that's and a 26 point down swing. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were down 15, 26 point swing. But hey, it doesn't matter what happens in the second and third quarter. What happens is in the, the final score, which was Jimmy Butler also guarding Jamal Murray on what I thought was a dumb shot. I, I understand you don't have to call timeout. I'm okay with no calling timeout there from, from uh, Mike Malone. But I think it's dumb that you ran all that 11 seconds off just to get a, a dumb three like that on a pick and roll where you shouldn't even use Joker because Joker's being guarded by their best player. So if you're going to pick and roll, you run with a guy that can't play as good defense as Jimmy. So just then like, then like the shot, I'm okay with no timeout. Like they said, Miami did better in the half court defense. So why not push it? Maybe even get a quick two and then force it to be a one point game and then force Miami to shoot threes. Doc, are you okay with them not calling timeout though? <laughs> Yeah, I don't have an issue with that. I mean, I thought that it was a forced uh, low percentage shot from uh, from Murray. Uh, there was a couple of the people that were open that had higher percentage open shots, but uh, I mean, as one of the, one of the leading shooters on that team, obviously him and Jokic. And if I'm talking about needing a three ball, I'm going Murray over Jokic. Uh, nothing against Jokic there. Murray's just got a smoother stroke, but. Um, yeah, I think I think a timeout maybe would have been beneficial to draw something up. You get the half court, even if Miami's playing better defense, you got a chance at least draw it up to get open, so you're not forcing that shot up in traffic, off balance like uh, like Murray did. And Luke, before we move on to talk about Game Three, the unsung heroes of the Miami Heat for this game were those undrafted players that we seem to keep talking about. Max Strius starting off the game big, Gabe Vincent been been Mister Consistent these two games, and then also Mister Duncan Robinson. Just balling out, flexing on the Denver crowd out there. Not the biggest flex. The boy's little. I think he's smaller than you are, Luke. But he had 10 straight points, did his job, sat, sat down in the fourth quarter, and then, bam, 
Do you think these unsung heroes are going to keep balling or you think they're going to get back to where the spotlight's too big for them? Yeah, honestly, I don't know why you're asking me this question. <laughs> I, I didn't watch the game. I didn't watch the game one, really. I watched, like, the fourth quarter of the first game. So I have no clue, honestly. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take this one, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know why you're asking me basketball questions. I don't, I don't watch any basketball. Yeah, I, I, I haven't either until the last four <laughs> games. But, uh, no, from, from, what I've seen, <laughs> from what I've seen the last four games, um, I, I mean, the, the undrafteds, have been have been pulling a lot of weight. I don't know that I would call them necessarily. I mean, as a group, I would call me unsung heroes. There's only one that I would call an unsung hero overall, and that's Vincent uh, Struess. Consistency, um, Martin. Consistency, Robinson. Consistency. Uh, the only one really that's been that's been consistent has been Gabe Vincent. Um, Struess over ten in the last game. Even Vincent was. Or was it no Martin? Martin missed all the shots last game, right? Yeah, no, Martin it was, was it, it, very no, ice cold Streis. last game. It was Max Streis. Somebody else still, was like one for nine. Yeah, they were, they were one for seventeen combined between Martin and Streis. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think it was him and I think it was him and Martin was the other one. So uh, Robinson also, uh, you know, he's just got to get open. He doesn't really get the minutes uh, and get the opportunity as much as he could. Uh, but also, that's that's. All I've seen Robinson really produces a three-point shot is as important as that well, is. I mean, he's been driving the ball a lot lately, been cutting bandsman feet. Yeah, he did a lot better. He did a lot better driving in game two. And that's a lot the last better footwork and coming said, off the dribble. Those last few games, even in Boston, he started to show that, which is something rare because he's usually catch shooter. He'll fake you out and then step over, hit that three. That's usually his game. But Tyler Hero's supposed to be back now. That brings me to the question, Doc, for game three. If Tyler Hero does play. Does he come off the bench because he hasn't played in seven weeks? No, I don't think so. I mean, Tyler Hero is a professional. Uh, I think he's ready for it. I think, especially going back with the consistency issues and everything else, I think that you've got to give him. I mean, you're putting everything on the line here. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that putting him in the starting lineup is going to be a downplay for you. Uh, he's a natural basketball player, so he knows what to do. Uh, the atmosphere might be a little bit different for him, but. No, put him in the starting lineup. It's just going to bolster you, make you that much better, um, and try to come out with game three in, in Miami and get ahead. I have to disagree a little bit. I think what Spolster did with putting K-Love back in the starting lineup, he could put a body on Aaron Gordon and was also playing good defense on Michael Porter Jr., which seemed to have no offensive game and that transition to no defensive game. I think Trust have me, I Hero, think Hero come off the bench, maybe split with Caleb Martin a little bit, and then put, like I said, because Hero's a little rusty, I want to see him get his game back, and then – don't ruin what's going good what's going on with that starting five between them because now with love in there you have Benson who's balling out and you can't sit Jimmy obviously bam uh it's just a key pivotal spot right now and then maybe maybe you can sit them over Streus, but Streus is still that bigger body where he's still going to try and play defense hero doesn't play that much defense but doc I want to hear your take game three like I said I feel like it's more of a must win for the Miami Heat who wins this game and why yeah, definitely tough. Um, I think, I think even playing in Miami with that home field advantage, I, I think I'm still going Denver in this one. I think it's going to be closer than Game One was. Um, I think I'm going. I mean, I've shit. This is basketball. If I got to pick a number, I think I'm going Denver 109, Miami 106. Luke, I know you said now it's a flip flop. Now you're going seven. Does Denver take Game Three or does Miami take Game Three so that Game Four isn't? as much of a win for Miami so that it puts that pressure on Denver a little bit and they seem to play good under pressure. 
Yeah, I'm going to take Denver here. They're just going to flip-flop all the way up, so they're evened up for game seven. All right, yeah, I'm disagreeing, boys. I think that since this is must, more of a must-win, I think Miami's going to come out, have a big offense efficiency game. They're going to come out guns blazing. Shout-out to my boy John Morant on that one, and I just think that Miami's just going to win the game. I think it's going to be close. I think Joker's obviously going to get his. I'm okay with Jamal Murray getting his, but like I told my crew in my office, you got to stop those the, the, the third guy through the seven guy. You can't allow the whole team like they did in game one to get hot. So I'm okay with Jamal and Joker getting theirs, but I need to see more like Miami having those guys with 20-point games, have some more chemistry going like they did. And, boys, something that broke the news today, Kyrie Irving has been pushing hard for the Mavericks to trade for LeBron to pair him, LeBron James, and Luka in Dallas. Luke, since I know you don't watch the NBA that much, would this maybe draw your eye to actually start to pay a little more attention because now you're pairing three superstars together? Yeah, I probably watched a couple of highlights of the games, but I'm not going to tune into the games and watch them. I'll see what LeBron James can do at the Mavs if he goes to the Mavs. Be cool. I think LeBron James is going to take an easy year. Maybe stay on the Lakers for a year, retire for a year, and then go hang out with his son wherever he gets drafted after that. Doc, do you think that this is a better move for LeBron to be traded because he can't sign there, be traded to the Dallas Mavericks? Or would you rather see LeBron get Kyrie Irving to the Los Angeles Lakers, which he's been pushing for the last couple seasons? Yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather see him go to the Lakers. I think uh... – I think this is kind of like, I don't know, it feels like more personal for LeBron to do this in Los Angeles. Um, I feel like this is more important to him than than just going anywhere and doing it. Um, I would have a lot more respect for LeBron to see him actually stay on a team and win a championship versus going to a team that's built around to get a championship like we saw in Miami, like we saw in L.A., um, <clears throat> like we saw in his return to Cleveland, you know? Um I would have a lot more respect if he stayed in in Los Angeles. Uh, but LeBron's going to, you know, I mean, it's not up to LeBron, so I'm not even going to give it to him. I and mean, if he pushes for the trade to Dallas, he's going to get it. Uh, but, you know, LeBron going to do what LeBron do, and that's go somewhere else to win because he can't get a fucking team on his on his own team. Mark Cuban's Mark got the money to make it happen, too. Oh, yeah. And, Doc, I mean, like you big, said. Hey, big I, Shark Take fan. Oh, he, he's got the money to make it big move. Big Shark but... Take fan. Doc, I know you said stay on a team. I think this Los Angeles Lakers, we gain a lot more respect because they got these guys that no one really thought of. Rob Palenka did his job as a GM, definitely turned the franchise around. It was LeBron, Anthony Davis, who was playing with a bunch of guys that aren't superstars. So Mm -hmm. I think me and you, I mean, I know you're not a big LeBron guy, but I could definitely tell you gain a lot more respect for LeBron, trusting these young young cats in in the Los Angeles Lakers locker room and actually showing that, you know, maybe they still have it. They made the Western Conference Finals. They get sweet. Swept, but I think this would be better than him going to Dallas. I don't think LeBron, Luka, and Kyrie can not coexist, but I know LeBron and Kyrie can play together. I don't know if all three can because they're ideally the same player. Kyrie's a little smaller than Luka and LeBron. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's it's that homegrown kind of kind of image for it. It's it's going to be nice to see them come to LeBron versus LeBron going to them again. I'll say it, but um, I don't know. I I definitely would have a lot more respect. Plus, seeing what and this is exactly when you talk about, uh, you know, who the greatest of all time is. You know, this goes a long way in what LeBron did accomplish this year with the team that he had versus what he did in Miami versus what he did back in Cleveland. You know what I mean? It's this is a much better ride for him. This was much more enjoyable seeing him as much as I still fucking hate LeBron. Um, 
But I like him a lot better if he stays in, in L.A. and they don't fucking pack him with 12 superstars, but give him an all-star team. And I'm okay with them getting Go out and Kyrie, get though. one. Earn one. I, I'm okay with them getting Kyrie. I don't think adding Kyrie is like – it's not like building a mega team. It's okay to get a guy that you have chemistry with. You still pair him with those young rookie or those young players in Los Angeles. I'm not – I'm not – wouldn't be mad at LeBron for getting Kyrie. Obviously, you want to add another player because these other teams do have a duo and a trio. And honestly, I just don't trust Anthony Davis to be that number two to LeBron anymore. I, he's too inconsistent in my opinion. And yeah, with that being – 100%. Means, yeah. Yep. With that oh, being yeah. said – Oh no, Doc! You go ahead, dude. No, no, go ahead. no, no, go, no, it's, go it's, ahead. Transition. it's transition. It's hey, transition. Move, move, move on. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I know we, we, are, we, have, on. we have a big, big segment. At the end. I'm, I know we're <clears throat> just trying to get this done because we're on. Well, now we're on to your favorite uh, talking point: the top ten daily segment. We have our last position group where we just strictly talk to positions. No, we still we got talk. IDPs. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. We'll bring that back when Chris comes in. But the last offensive players we have: the top ten tight ends. Got a big, big feeling that the number one tight end will be the same as usual. So all four positions that we address will have the same player. Luke's shaking his head. We're going to start with you, Doc. Uh, number 10 tight end for this year's 2023 redraft fantasy season. Who do you have? Number 10, I am going out of Cleveland, David Njoku. Uh, production has been down recently, but I still like the guy with Deshaun Watson coming back for a full year. I think he's going to have a, a good part in the offense. Uh, he was kind of like the unknown uh, that kind of took off in terms of tight ends and has been kind of consistent for the most part over the last several years. Um, I like the guy from day one. He just needed to get involved, and he finally is or has been for the last few seasons. Um, so I like I like uh, Njoku at number 10 with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think he's a good move with the quarterback. I thought Baker kind of held him down. Baker's on a tight end quarterback. Luke, who do you have at number 10? Man, I hate to say it, but I'm going to Pat Fryermuth with the Steelers. Uh, finished tight end number eight last season. His downside, he only had two touchdowns, but this will be his second year at Kenny Pickett playing. So I think he's going to be up a little higher on this. Yeah, Doc, uh, I agree with you, and so does Chris. Me and Chris both have oh, – I'm sorry, never mind. I, I lied. Oh. Me and Chris agree that number 10 is going to be Evan Ingram out of Jacksonville. Uh, oh. Definitely, in my opinion, I can't speak for Chris. He just gave me his list, but I can speak for my on my behalf. Evan Ingram definitely took a big step in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. And Doug Peterson calling plays out there. Definitely a lot better than when he was with the Giants. Um, the Jaguars seem to have a very sneaky, underrated wide receiver core. And that means a little more opportunity for Evan Ingram. I still think he was a little inconsistent last year. Yes, he was tight in five, but that was due to big games. But he also had small games. So I like to see a little more consistency weekly on a weekly basis, not just one big game here, a couple games sucks, and then another huge game. That's kind of how that he finished that in my mind. Doc, number nine for you, my friend. Number nine, I'm going with the hometown Chicago Bears, Cole Komet, and I'll tell you why. Uh, first season, obviously, his rookie year did not get many targets at all, um, even less receptions, obviously. Uh, just didn't really have a part in the game plan, even though he played all 16 games. Following season, we saw the targets more than double, up to 93, over 600 yards, but the problem was no touchdowns, right? So while we saw a little bit of a drop-off with the receptions and the yardage last season, we saw a huge uptick in seven touchdowns uh, for Cole Komet, so really bringing the points in. And I think now with upgrading the line, 
uh, getting some more passing targets. I think it's just going to spread the ball out. I think a lot of defense is going to be focused on Darnell Mooney uh, and obviously DJ Moore. And I think it's going to open more opportunity for Cole Komet to continue to build in this offense. I know when the Bears picked him up, they wanted this to be a long-term guy. Uh, they wanted to bring him in right and not overwhelm him and overdo him in the beginning, and they definitely took their time with him. Uh, but he showed what he can do if he can combine the yards, and now with the red zone threat that he possesses, uh, sky's the limit for this guy, honestly. Yeah, I love hearing you talk about your Bears because I definitely hear the excitement that you have this year. You actually think they're <laughs> going to be worth a watch this year, and I, I also think that too. Luke, number nine for you, my friend. All right, Mark, you're going to like this one. I'm going to go Kyle Pitts at number nine for me. So, rough year for him. His rookie year finished tight end number 33. Only had two touchdowns last season. But wait, wait, for him. You said 33? He had over 1,000 yards as rookie. So, he was a sophomore last yeah, year. Yeah, he had two touchdowns last season. Okay. I don't know. That's what, that's what ESPN says. He's tight end 33. You check it if you want. Well, last year he didn't he, he didn't play all year. He got hurt. His rookie year he was not 33. His rookie year he actually – because he was – this is his third year. That's no. – 20, 2022 it says he played he played 11 games last season uh 10 games all right played 10 games last season i think he's gonna be that uh dump off that little safety net for ritter when ritter's getting fucking tackled sacked every play i mean i don't think ritter's gonna be throwing too many deep passes i think kyle pitts plays kind of that that wide receiver role as a tight end position so he's going to get looks. He's They're going to want to throw him the ball. They drafted him in the first round a couple years ago. So, yeah. They're yeah, going to so, try to get him involved in the game. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I think he's a little low on my huh, – just by one spot. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Chris has got Njoku. Doc, the reason why I don't have Njoku in my top ten is because I have – who I have at number nine is the reason why Njoku got pushed out. I'm agreeing with you. Cole Komet out of Chicago. I like what Chicago's doing there. I think adding DJ Moore – investing in the offensive lines and to give Justin Fields a little more uh, confidence to throw the ball, which means the Titans best friend to a young quarterback as well. Cole Komet's going to open a lot of opportunity. He was also number eight last year when it came down to the final uh, rankings for ESPN. So definitely the sky's the limit. Yeah. He might fall down one spot, but you can get him at number nine or you can give him as a number nine tight end, which means you're going to fall in the middle of the draft. some maybe like the 10th round. That's a good steal for my opinion. Doc, who's your number eight tight end? Number eight, I am going out of Jacksonville, Evan Ingram. Um, almost 800 yards last year, four touchdowns. Uh, the only thing I think might hold them back is there are some serious receiving weapons um, out there. So I think that, um, you know, that might that might hinder him a little bit. But I still like his, his involvement in the offense, and I like what Jacksonville did with him last year. Um, so I'm, I'm looking more for the same and, and to see him strive. Yeah, like I said, that's kind of the big thing on me, too, is that they have so many weapons out there that could actually hurt them, but it could help them, too. It's one of those hit-or-miss opportunities. Luke, number eight for you. Number eight for me is me, uh, Dalton Schultz from Dallas. So he finished last year tight end number 10. Uh, he gets a solid amount of looks from Dak Prescott, very involved in the game. Uh, so he ended up having five touchdowns last season. I think he continues that path. Dallas doesn't have, like, they're not crazy at the wide receiver position. They have C.D. Lamb and who else? So I think Dalton Schultz is going to fill up a lot of that role. Luke, I need you to stay off the margaritas, my friend. Dalton Schultz is a Houston Texan. He's oh, he really? The off yeah. Stay off the margaritas, my mm. friend. 
I still have him as number ten. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but but like I said, a, a he's in, I like the hot take. He's still in Texas. <laughs> the way it works. A, yeah, he's still in Texas. But it, it, CJ Stroud, young QB. CJ Stroud, young QB. We expect him to start. That's going to help him. You have that veteran tight end, like you said. Just kind of like why I like Cole Komet. The young QBs can benefit off these tight ends, Luke. And I, I agree with you. Like I think it's a good take for CJ Stroud, not Dak Prescott. So yeah, they, they also don't have they don't have a lot of the wide receiver position either. Pretty much everything I said still stands. He's going to get a lot of looks. Different quarterback, same state, doesn't matter. Yeah, Chris has got a hot take at number eight. He's got Darren Waller out of the New York Giants. Uh, I can probably expect why he's probably afraid that he's going to fall back just because of his injury history he's got. Um, I think if he's healthy, that could be a higher higher ceiling for him. But Luke, I'm going where you had number nine. I'm going Kyle Pitts. Uh, my number eight spot. I think that Ritter's going to like to find him in London. seems like the Atlanta Falcons have an NBA roster at the wide receiver and tight end position. Everyone's freakishly huge. I think is we have a pretty decent O-line. I mean, we have one of the top guards with Christian Lindstrom. So I do think we'll have – Ritter will have some time. We're going to see what he can do, uh, actual full season. But I like Kyle Pitts coming back. I think he'll be targeted more with Desmond Ritter than Marcus Mariota for sure. Doc, number seven for you. Yeah, number seven, I am going Dallas Goddard out of Philadelphia. Um, I'd like to see him stay healthy this season, but in only 12 games last year, 700 yards, uh, only three touchdowns. But um, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of passing touchdown going on in Philly last year. Um, but I like I like uh, Goddard at number seven. Yeah, I, I think that's the one thing. I think Luke could agree on that one. Injury history with Dallas Goddard is uh, key, honestly. Luke, who do you have at number seven? Yeah. So I'm going to – my number seven would be Evan Ingram. We've already talked about him. He had a good season last year, basically playing the wide receiver position at his tight end. So he's going to get a lot of those dump-off looks from Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, they do have more wide receiver talent there now this season. I still – one receiver goes down, guess who's going to be there? Evan Ingram. Reliable, big touchdown threat too. He had four touchdowns with him last season, so – no, I, I like it. I, I had him number 10 spot, so definitely agree that he's a top 10 tight end for the fantasy season. And I, me and Chris are agreeing at number seven. We have Pat Frumuth out of Pittsburgh. I've honestly been starting to grow on this guy. I've, I think I've had him the last – I know I had him last year. I'm not sure about the rookie season, but <laughs> he was very big when Ben was there, and he was starting to get a little consistent with Kenny Pickett. Question, though, is, is does Darnell Washington, the rookie tight end from Georgia, take a little bit of steals from him, big body? But I, I still like Pat Freemuth. I think he's a pretty good tight end. I think he's one of the more athletic tight ends in the league for sure. And uh, I think the problem with him was he, he found a lot of times where he was not on the field when he needed to be. Hopefully Mike Tomlin can get him on the field when he needs to be, and that could help Pittsburgh in their offense a little bit. Doc, number six for you. Number six for me, I am going with your number seven, uh, Pat Fryermuth. Again, uh, we, we just heard the explanation, so I won't go too deep into it. Um, I don't think that the addition from the draft will take too much away because he's still going to get in and learn. Uh, the touchdowns obviously took a huge hit, but the targets went up. I think that they're very invested with this guy. I think they like what he's done uh, in 16 games, almost seven 750 uh, receiving yards. So um, <clears throat> you just got to continue on that upward trajectory, and he's only going to get better. Yeah, it's just – honestly, it's going to fall solely on Kenny Pickett. Um, how much – confidence progression does he show going from year to one year one year one to year two and as a 
full-time starter this year. He was not the starter coming into the season. So this is going to be a big season for them, honestly. Luke, number six for you, my friend. Yeah, I'm going to go Dallas Goddard here. So a lot of mouths to feed over in Philadelphia, but I still think he's going to be there. He's going to be open. Um, so he had 69 reception. I mean, 69 targets on 59 receptions, three touchdowns, and he missed like what six games last season, 700 yards. I think he picks up from that last season. So he'll keep he'll keep going on, keep rolling, and I think he'll be at least top six tight end, maybe top five sneak in there. Depends on how the offense plays out in Philadelphia. And Goddard's yeah. only had two shortened seasons from injury, so I don't even know that I would call yeah. like him being injury prone like I would with uh with uh yeah Waller. The problem with Goddard last year was he got hurt for a lot of people's fantasy playoff push. So that's the part where yeah, it hurt the season. Him. Yeah, that's, that's fantasy, dude. Oh, it is. Tough. And I think Tough but game. I do think Philly made the right decision getting rid of Zach Gertz and keeping Goddard, because obviously that was the question a few years ago. Do they keep both? How are they gonna get rid of Ertz like that? I think Howie Roseman, one of the best GMs in the league, handled that situation right. Number six for Chris is George Kittle out of San Francisco. I Damn. think that's a hot wow. take. Um, yeah, I don't know if Kittle's going to be top three, top two, but having on the top five, that is huge. I wish Chris was here. Oh, we didn't say why. Chris, shout out to you. I know you're taking care of the in-laws this week. Uh, hopefully we get you back Thursday. <laughs> but, yeah, George Kittle, that's just a big one, man. Like, I, I don't know why six. I have um, – Darren Waller, and that's due just because of uh, injury-related history. He keeps getting injured at the wrong times. I think he's one of the more freakish ath- athletic titans in the league. I think Danny Dimes is going to love him out in New York, minus they don't have that many good receivers in my mind. So that opens up the opportunity for Darren Waller. But I'm only putting him at six due to the injury history. I just don't trust him to stay healthy. I think if you can get him as your five or six tight end in the, in the league and it pans out where he's healthy, that's a steal. And he might end up being top tight end like three or two. And behind Kelsey, obviously, but that's who I have six. Doc, I saw you shaking your head. What's the problem, my friend? Yeah, no, the the injury history is significant with him. And we're not talking just a couple of games. We're talking significant amounts of time in a significant number of seasons. I don't even have Darren Wall on my top ten. Hey, man. I know. I I know that hurts because the guy has put up monster numbers. But when you're averaging like less than 50% of the season played – and if you look at it, it, he's only had he's only had two good seasons in his whole career. That's it. It's it's yeah, also so. the two that he two full seasons that he played. Yeah, and that's the thing is we. I we mean, know if he plays a full season, he's going to yeah. get you numbers. But I'm if I'm a if, if I'm a betting man, I'm I'm putting money down. Uh, I'm calling the over under is like. Uh, do I want to say nine and a half? But he's also playing over that tougher nine and a half. NFC East is a lot better this the last year too, and. The Dallas Cowboys have a top defense. The Eagles defense. This started there. long before. This started. This started. Oh yeah. Long what I'm saying though is he's up. got to compete against those that division now. And man, those boys hit out there in the NFC East. It seems like Doc. Yeah. Number five for you, my friend. <laughs> number five. Little respect for Mark Davis. I'm going Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Atlanta. Just an absolute monster. His rookie season over a thousand yards. I would like to see them target him more for the red zone. Uh, I would love to see some more touchdown opportunities for him. Um, I'd also like to see him come down with the ball a little bit more. It's like close to 50% on his uh, on his reception to target. Um, but, I mean, the yards per reception is great. Uh, you know, I think with a full season, young quarterbacks, I think uh, I think Kyle Pitts is the way for, for Atlanta. Yeah, and I just think it's so- solely Mariota was not targeting the ball. Mariota's not. <laughs> 
a guy that you trust to throw the ball. I mean, I always don't trust Ritter, but we know Ritter's going to throw the ball way more than Mariota. Chris, by the way, agrees with you, Doc. Chris agrees with you. He's got Kyle Pitts at number five. Kyle Pitts made his top five as well. Luke, you give number five. So my number five is going to be Darren Waller. So we talked about him. I, I have him as a hit or miss player. He plays a full season. He'll be probably within the top three tight ends. If he misses a season, he'll be top 30 wide receiver. I mean, uh, tight ends. So he's hit or miss. Risky move for a tight end pick. But if you hit, he could win your fantasy league for you. Yeah, and I agree. That's the thing. If he's healthy, he's he might not be number one, but damn sure he'll be number two or three. My number five is Dallas Goddard out of Philadelphia. We've hammered enough. They have a lot of weapons out there in Philadelphia, the city brotherly love. I think it opens the door for him with Jalen Hurts, having that chemistry with him a little better now. Jalen Hurts is way better than he was his rookie season, even his second season. Played like an MVP-level quarterback last year. So this just opens the door for Dallas Goddard. You can't double-team all these guys. So I think Dallas Goddard's top five tight end. Doc, number four for you in this year's redraft league. Number four for this year, I am going George Kittle. Uh, I think that there's been too much of a drop-off uh, in the overall production. Um, we're seeing the targets even dwindle down for him 15 games last year and a career second career low as far as uh, targets per game. Um Yards still still decent at 700 for, for a tight end. The touchdowns were phenomenal. That's why I got him up in number four is strictly the touchdowns. He had 11 scores last year alone. Um, but I would like to see the targets come up. I'd like to see him bring that energy back like he did in uh, 2018 and almost 1,400 receiving yards and just kind of that, that attitude that he brought to the San Francisco 49ers. I'd like to see that come back. But I think now with CMC in the backfield, I think that's going to continue to take targets from uh, – from George Kittle. Yeah, that's why I just think Chris having Kittle at six was just – it's a hot take, but I, I don't agree with that. I'm more on your side, Doc. Uh, I'll He's still got potential life. to put up TE two or three numbers. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll break my my reason when I get to Kittle in this uh, redraft. Luke, number four for you. So I'm going to agree with Doc here. I'm going Kittle at my number four spot too. Uh, I have Kittle as a hit or miss player, game to game, week to week. So either he's going to have 20-plus fantasy points for you or he'll have, like, two or three. So some games he balls out, some games he doesn't get any looks. And question mark at the QB position for this team as well. A lot of mouths to feed, wide receiver, a running back. So I don't know. A lot of mouths to feed in San Francisco. A lot of question marks on that team on the offensive side. Yeah, and speaking of that, Chris Scott Dallas got at number four. I'll touch on my number four, which is George Kittle as well. I think the difference is Brock Purdy, which we're going to address the 49ers QB situation after this segment, who we think is going to start just because they have a little news out there in their camp. But I got George Kittle, and that's solely because Brock Purdy, once he took over that starting spot after Jimmy G got hurt, it was all good news for George Kittle. Yeah, he's a great blocker, probably the best blocking tight end in football, but damn sure he's one of the top receiving tight ends in the league as well. He could just be just as dynamic as Travis Kelsey when he wants to be. I don't think he's better than Travis Kelsey, but he, he can compete for that spot. Brock Purdy starting this year is the difference with George Kittle. I think George Kittle will be a top four tight end. Doc, number three for you. Number three, I am going TJ Hawkinson out of Minnesota. I mean, the guy was just electric after leaving Detroit. Um, bringing another receiving weapon to kind of take some of the pressure off of uh, Justin Jefferson out there. And now with uh, Thielen being gone, I think this opens the door 
Big opportunity for Hawkinson to step up in a big way for this team. Six scores last year, almost a thousand receiving yards. Um, I'm going Hawkinson. This the, the number two and three were very difficult. It was a very tough. Uh, I mean, I honestly two or three I could put them either way, and we'll yeah, go over that next. That's how I was too when I was doing my list. Luke, I have a feeling you're going to stick with Doc on this one. You got TJ at number three. Yes, I do. I got TJ at number three. All right, you can see the numbers once he moved over to the Vikings. Hey, dude balled out. He had a couple of hundred yard games with them, a couple of multi touchdown games. So big playability. Adam Thielen's gone. I mean, everybody's going to double cover Justin Jefferson. So he's going to be wide open, big body, sure hands. He'll get the job done for you. Like uh, red zone threat too. I like Hawkinson. Yeah, and me and Chris agree with both you boys. We got TJ Hawkinson at number three. Like you said, Doc, I was back and forth between number two and three, which I have a feeling that our top three for all four seems to be the same. <laughs> Unless Luke has that biased mindset, which we'll get to that in a couple seconds. But, yeah, TJ Hawkinson out of Minnesota. Like you said, no Thielen. It's just J.J. and uh, Jordan Addison, the, the rookie from USC. So, a lot of opportunity for TJ Hawkinson. He could actually be tight end one when it's all said and done just because of the little threats they have out there besides J.J. Doc, number two for you. Uh, number two for me, I went Mark Andrews out of Baltimore. Um, last season, 15 games almost 850 um, receiving yards. I mean, this guy has been 153 targets just two years ago. This guy has been like the backbone of the receiving core for uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. My only concern is bringing in OBJ and bringing in Zay Flowers um, and having guys to target. And then obviously, you know, Lamar. I, I'm not even going to say, actually. I'm not even going to say Lamar running out of the backfield because he's been doing that and, and, and Mark Andrews is still getting his um, – Heavily involved in the red zone, uh, just a, a physical body tight end that you love to see. And with his play style and his ability to go up and get the ball, I mean, to still still be able to average 15, 16 games a season is huge. Um, he's a dependable guy. He's somebody, you know, he had the one solid year in 21. I'll give him that. I mean, I wouldn't say that all the other, you know, any of the other years were, were mind-shattering or earth-shattering. Uh, but I, I definitely think a, a phenomenal tight end, a reliable guy, easily – I mean, like I said, between him and Hawkinson, both of them easily, you can take a number two. Luke, you going with your boy yep. out of Baltimore, number two? Yeah, Mark Andrews will be on my number two. Same thing, everything Doc said. So, yeah, he started 15 games, but he didn't finish all 15 games. So, he had a couple injury concerns last season. And uh, addition, a couple of new wide receivers for Baltimore. Honestly, I think that frees him up a little bit just because he was the number one wide receiver for Baltimore last season. So, I think Zay Flowers and OBJ – That'll probably take a little pressure off of him having to get the ball that many times or get targeted that many times per game. So I think that'll free him up a little bit in the red zone and down the field. Dude, dude can take deep passes down the middle. He can take screens or he can just take a regular like slant or anything like that. So he can do it all. Basically, similar play style of Travis Kelsey in the tight end position. Basically, that, that big, big wide receiver. And Lamar is going to be his safety net for this year. Yeah, me and Chris agree with you guys. Number two is Mark Andrews. He finished tight end number four last year with that shortened year and Lamar going down and Snoop Huntley coming in. So, I mean, Mark Andrews is probably the second most heavily security blanket in the NFL behind our number one tight end, which, I mean, I don't think we're going to argue about it. It's probably the most deadliest weapon, honestly, in the NFL. You can even make – he's more deadly than any NFL wide receiver, and that's Travis Kelsey – Dude is a fucking Taysom animal. Hill. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, hey, Taysom Hill was number nine last year tied in. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, Travis Kelsey, boys. I mean, the the man does it all. We're about to see him in a golf a golf match with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson as they battle Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. Go Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, by the way. But yeah, the dude the dude can do it all. He can also even escort Mr. Joe Biden off the stage, and he tries to take over the White House podium. I don't know if y'all saw that today. Travis Kelsey can do it all. Yeah, if Kelsey's there, pass pick six. Fucking take him. <laughs> yeah, uh, Travis Kelsey, obviously over a thousand yards since 2016. Uh, heavily involved in in the red zone game. I wouldn't even say the red zone game because the guy could punch it in from 60 yards. Uh, so yeah, if you're if you're not taking Kelsey when he's up there, yeah. And the question yeah, is. Not, is not, Sorry, Luke, go ahead. No, I was saying it's not even close between Kelsey and the rest of the tight ends in the league. Kep, no, I think every right. other tight end, no other tight end had more than five touchdowns last season. Kelsey had 12. Kelsey also had 1,300 receiving yards on 110 receipt. Like, Kittle had 11, but. Kittle had 11? But the thing, Luke, is though, is with yeah, Travis Kelsey, is Travis Kelsey might not even get to me at number nine. And if he does get to me at number nine, I mean, I might have to take him. That's if he falls a. If he falls to Doc at 12, I know Doc's grabbing him. I mean, that, that's a good swap right there. Travis Kelsey, and you can go whichever running back receiver you want at number the first pick of the second round. But if Travis Kelsey's there at nine, I mean, I'm I'm definitely thinking – I'm probably taking that to five seconds left on the clock, and I'm thinking I'm looking at all my options. Who can fall to me? Which position do I want to take the, the hit on, receiver or running no, back? No, I'm taking him. He puts up better numbers than a lot of receivers. I'm taking him. Yeah. I, I, I can plug a that. tight end hole with that. I'm taking it. Luke, take he slips out of top five. You have to take him. Luke, take him at number one. Hey, we'll see. You never know what's going to happen. But that's our top ten tight ends. It was a lot quicker than the other ones. I think tight ends just a little quicker we can talk about. But one thing I want to address for NFL before we talk about our new segment for the viewers and listeners is we didn't get to it last time is the 49ers, Brock Purdy, started throwing the ball. They're very well impressed. The question is, I'll start with you, Luke. When it comes down to it, week one, who is the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers? Will Brock Purdy be ready and start, or will it be Trey Lance or Sam Darnold? Uh, honestly, I mean, they, they invested a first-round pick on Trey Lance. I think they're going to try to ride him until he gets injured again. If he gets injured again, he's probably done with the team. But I think they have to try Trey Lance again. He got one game, one one decent like, game, like water game, where he couldn't even show anything, then he got hurt the next week. So they have to try him again. Doc, do you agree with Luke? Do they have to ride with Trey Lance? Who it seems those draft picks I think they got for him, they're all said and done. Like those draft picks are now relevant. They're all been used. Do you think that they go Trey Lance? Yeah, I think they go Trey Lance. I don't think they have to or that they're looking at it one way or the other. I think uh, you just got to give the guy a real opportunity. I mean, he was back and forth with Jimmy G, got hurt, uh, came in the following year, was supposed to be his year from the start, got hurt. Um in very shitty field conditions, too. Uh, actually, it was the second game that he got hurt, right? Yeah, it wasn't yeah, the, yeah, first game. Game, the first, uh, first game, game. The first game is the water game. Yeah. Right? Um, so, yeah, second game, but guy never really got a chance. Um, I think he, I don't think he's got many more chances left, but I think I think San Francisco needs to, needs to know what they can truly get out of him out of a season to know if they're ready to make that decision. Um, and quite frankly – I'm I'm not sold on on Purdy yet. I I think it's honestly let the boys play for the position and see who gets it. Honestly, I think any quarterback you put back there is going to like excel. The the weapons they have is on their offense is like pretty like top tier in the NFL. 
I mean, I honestly think Sam Darnold can literally lead that team. I'm not saying he's going to win the Super Bowl, but I think he can manage that team like Purdy did at the end of the season and get them deep in the playoffs. I think with that weapons, like you said, but I'm unfortunately, boys, going to disagree with you on that one. I'm going to go with, with the, the name that Luke Rule coined. I'm going Big Cock Brock. The general manager from the 49ers, John Lynch, has said that Brock Purdy is unquestionably the leader of that locker room when healthy. Obviously, he doesn't make that, that decision. That will be a Kyle Shanahan decision. But I do think if Purdy's healthy and he's ahead of schedule and he's ready to throw for week one, he's going to be the quarterback. The dude looked good last year. In the season where he was playing, he looked good in the playoffs. Unfortunately, got hurt early against the Eagles. We don't know what would have happened if he was there. But I'm a, not a huge fan of Brock Purdy. But I think with this system they got going on and the confidence he had last year, Shanahan's going to ride with him if he's healthy. <laughs> so, that being said, does anyone got any last thing they want to talk about with the 49ers or the NFL? All right. That's it. So, last week or last episode, we started a brand-new segment – Previously, we named it the Listener's Mail. But thanks to one of our dedicated viewers and listeners out there, the Listener's Mail segment has been upgraded and now a new name change. Thanks to Mr. Zach Rizlov. It is now called the Listener's Load. And simply that, boys, means is the viewers and listeners will provide us a conversation starter. It could be sports, anything beyond sports as well that we want to talk about, debate about, literally have a conversation about. And we will unload our opinions on the viewers and listeners and give our intake on this. Last week, we had the best sports movie. Luke had a fucking phenomenal job giving us a nice reason why The Longest Yard was number one. I know Doc has been watching that movie nonstop all weekend. Now, repeat. Yeah, that repeat. Just keep, keep that yeah, going. Longest Yard and Luke. Hey, pay Adam Sandler that money. He earned it. God, dude, did he ever. But this week... Unfortunately, we're talking episode or a topic that me and Chris both said we just can't absolutely stand, and that is the greatest, af- the greatest of all time in each major sport. It seems like we're going to disqualify NCAA. I mean, we can maybe mention a name if we want to, but we're going to talk major sports. We're going to talk the <laughs> NHL, which me and Luke don't have a huge ton of knowledge in, but we're going to try and throw a name out there. We're also going to talk NBA. Luke's going to throw probably the most basic name out there understandable you don't watch basketball me and doc are going to get baseball pretty covered and we all got nfl as we all watch that so we're going to save the nfl for last it's the best sport let's talk nhl let's get the worst out of the way doc you are the pro the hockey pro who do you have as the hockey goat yeah i mean we can talk about hockey goats there's only there's only one name and it's synonymous across all true hockey fans if you are going with anybody else i mean you just don't have an idea of what you're talking about wayne gretzky is the guy and when you talk about wayne gretzky and what he did for the sport um the kind of things that he accomplished i mean over 200 points in three straight seasons four out of five i mean you're not you're never even going to see 200 points in a season again but um 92 goals was his peak in uh, 81, 82, 87, and 83, 84. Still putting up over 100 assists. I mean, the guy was an absolute monster for a career. Uh, obviously, the all-time leader in goals. Uh, pretty sure also assists. Um, a 520-plus minus uh, for a career total for Wayne Gretzky. Just an absolute, absolute fucking monster. Um, nobody else comes close. I, I won't even give an honorable mention. Luke, I have a feeling that your guys rocking the same colors that your shirt is right now, rocking that black and gold. Give me the reason why I want to hear the name that you're about to say for fucking hockey, buddy. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So 
I mean, I don't watch too much hockey, but as long as I've been watching hockey, this dude's been playing most playoff points, most playoff assists, most playoff games, three-time Stanley Cup uh, winner. That's why I got him up there. Yeah, and Doc, I'm sorry, dude. I got Sid the Kid as well. Man's a two-time Hart Memorial Trophy winner, two-time Con Smith Trophy Award winner. I don't give a shit. He's got a lot of SBs for the best NHL player. That's, the, by the way, us bands vote for that. That's who we think the GOAT is, by the way. The Maurice Rocket, Richard Trophy. The, the awards go on and on. The 2019 All-Star team fucking leader. The man's the GOAT. Fuck Wayne Gretzky. The man's a bitch. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, four-time Cup winner, uh, nine-time Hart winner. How many? How many Hart trophies did uh, did Sydney win? Yeah, it must be nice back in the time where the hockey go hockey players weren't as good as like the Michael yeah, Jordan. Yeah, five best Bing trophies, fifteen-time All-Star, ten-time Ross winner, five-time Pearson winner, two-time Conn Smythe, uh, and also the one hundred the NHL one hundredth anniversary team. Uh, you, I don't care. The, Sidney Crosby is not even a pimple on Wayne Gretzky's ass. <laughs> oh, he's a he's a fucking mountain on that ass, Luke. We know no. it. We understand why Sid the Kid yeah. is the goat. Yeah, I just casual fans. Yeah, he's casual fans. Wikipedia dude. page, and I just I can't even scroll through his fucking Wikipedia page. It's so deep. <laughs> yeah, he's deep, deep in Wayne Gretzky's ass because he is the goat, Doc. But let's move uh, on. Yeah. This is not this is the worst sport. Worst sport of the four we're covering. <laughs> let's go to the, in my opinion, the third the third best sport in major sports. The NBA, Luke, give it to me. Who's the goat? Yeah, I mean this, this one's easy right here. It's gonna be LeBron James. I mean, oh we, we've all watched him. He he's won everywhere he's been. What he's the leading? What I have to look at the stats. I I just didn't look up any stats besides throwing LeBron James name down. But so yeah, you guys. Can yeah, this one. and I agree with him, Doc. I know you're gonna go MJ, but I can give a little more of a, a you know not analytics, but actual like view of the game i didn't get to watch mj play so like i'm sorry i i just don't i'm not gonna pick mj the reason why is yes i think if you're talking winner that's the narrative i'm pushing is if you're pushing winner yes you can give mj all that he's six no in the finals that's great hell of a team he had the greatest coach of all time phil jackson he had the two greatest duos of all time too so he definitely found a way to win with both of them but he had also one of the top 50 players of all time scotty pippen the end of the, the Bulls era, he had one of the greatest enforcers in Dennis Rodman. Ron Harper wasn't a scrub neither. Steve Kerr wasn't great, but he hit big shots in the moments when he needed to. The reason why I go LeBron <laughs> is because he put against better competition in his era than Jordan did in his era. I think LeBron is an overall player in the game, not just scoring. He's a better assister. He's a better rebounder. Yes, Jordan's got him on defense, but LeBron in his defensive days could play. We talked about it before the show. He sacrificed I understand that you're also offense. talking a two versus a three. What do you mean? Two versus three. George, I a mean, shooting LeBron, guard, a shooting guard, a six-six shooting guard versus six-nine forward. Yeah, that guards every position, and you know he's, but but being six-nine, he should be passing the ball at a higher level. Normally, your shorter guys pass the ball at a higher level. LeBron's the one that's six-nine. Well, yeah, but he passes the ball at a higher level than Jordan. So I mean, usually your point guards or your shooting. Well, guards that's are a lot because uh, that's because LeBron had people that could score. LeBron didn't I mean, have Jordan, to put the team on his back. And when he couldn't, because he frequently couldn't, he packed up and left town. Hey, let me know when Jordan got <laughs> to the Jordan finals. Hey, hey, wait. Question was, when Jordan was there by himself, like LeBron was by himself in Cleveland before he left in his third year, did Jordan get to the finals or did it take him eight years? Uh, I think it took him a little bit longer, but that's what happens when you fucking stay loyal to your team. 
Oh, he did. And stay you don't loyal. go. LeBron, Le- LeBron stayed loyal. He got to the finals in his third year, fourth year in the league <laughs> with Cleveland with his best player, uh, what Big Z. How long did he play in Cleveland for? Michael Jordan also didn't play his whole career in the Bulls either. 2003 to 2010. Then 2010. He was there for about seven, eight seasons. <laughs> and then he went to Miami for four and came back. So the mm. reason why he didn't, the reason why he left Cleveland was because he was begging for help. Cleveland, we can all agree Cleveland was a shit organization. They did not provide help. They, 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 thought Mo, they thought Mo Williams was the, was a key reason that LeBron would stay. Mo Williams was that Mo guy. Now. Don't shit no, on I'm Mo. I'm sorry. Now. He was not that guy. <laughs> when LeBron, when Jordan asked for help, they got him a coach. They got him Scottie Pippen, and they fucking built that Chicago Bulls, which rightfully so. That's what a great a great organization does. They they do that shit. I think Jordan's a better winner. Yes, I mean his team his team won more, but I mean I'm sorry. I, I just if I'm thinking player, a guy I want on my team, I want LeBron before Jordan because with LeBron, I think people are going to play with him, and then it's also get everyone else involved. It's the domino effect of having LeBron. Where he's going to get everyone involved. It's not just one show, and that's it. Jordan's career, whole career, was not also not in the Bulls either. So that's the whole stay loyal thing doesn't work. Yeah, he did have what that one year in Washington. He yeah, also he had was. that two year stint in the uh, minor league baseball association, the Chicago White Sox. So yeah. I mean, he retired twice on Chicago. He quit twice on the Chicago Bulls. Same yeah. amount of times LeBron did against the Cavaliers. Yeah, he did. I mean, he was also under immense pressure playing for the Bulls. But uh, for me, no, it's not even close. It's Jordan. It's Jordan. Everybody that knows a, a lick of basketball, anybody that has any kind of common sense knows that it's Jordan, uh, the MVPs. And I'll tell you, Jordan's got or, um, uh, LeBron's got longevity. I'll give you that. And, uh, yeah, he also didn't retire twice. I'll give you that. But uh, in LeBron's significantly more seasons, Jordan still has more MVPs, still has more finals MVPs and titles, still has nine more scoring titles. Uh Three less NBA, um, all NBA first team, uh, which is expected given the given the amount of seasons played between the two of them. Uh, all defensive team though, still goes to Jordan. All star games again, slight edge to LeBron, but expected in the amount of seasons that he played over over Jordan. Um, I sent you the video. I gotta I gotta get a plug for it um, and get it put out there so that the listeners. We'll have to get like the link or something put in the bio so that the listeners can can reference to it. A lot of really really good information in there. That is solely and it, it's it goes into a number of different metrics to to break down who the goat is and it's clear as day it is Jordan. Um, it, it's not even up for debate to me. I'm not saying Le- I mean I hate LeBron. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you LeBron's a shitty basketball player. I fucking hate LeBron, but he is a good basketball player. But he is. I got him. I got him around. It's a talk. I'm 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 back and forth on number two and three between him and Kobe. Yeah, and Rizlov, our <laughs> guy that started this conversation, I believe has got Kobe at number one. Doc, the one last point I want to make about MJ and LeBron is, I understand when you make a finals, yeah, that team's got to be good. But if you look at the level of competition in the finals, where Jordan's greatest team he played against, well, you can make an argument it was against the the, the Lakers, where Magic or I'm sorry, was it Worthy was hurt. Kareem was old and Magic was young, or Magic was about to retire because of you know his situation he had. But or you can make it a case it was the aging Utah Jazz with John Stockton and Carl Malone. I don't think he ever played against a guy that had Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Iggy, and Draymond Green, five future Hall of Famers on one team. I, I just think the level of competition that he played against, he played against Durant three times in the finals. He forgot the other year as well, and the early stage with Westbrook, a good Westbrook and a young James Harden. I just feel like the level of competition, I think the only true shit team 
that which I don't think we're shit, but he beat us in the bubble. We didn't have any true stars like <laughs> Jimmy Butler. So like that's the one team where I think LeBron played that wasn't full of talent. So I I just think that's the difference is the level of competition in the nineties wasn't there like it is in this era. The players are way more athletic. They're freakishly bigger, way stronger. I don't care about that whole week. Close to clothesline you out of there. Those guys were still bitching for calls too back in the day. So same shit, just different story. Yeah, they were still bitching for calls, but they played defense. Uh, yeah, I mean the guys now are are definitely bigger, faster. You know, uh, it, it's it's two completely different eras, which is probably what makes the most challenging part of the argument. But um, to say that that Jordan didn't face talent back in the day, I mean, what because because they're not headline names to because you didn't watch basketball in the 90s, so you don't know who everybody was. I mean, I got to go back and look at, you know, the seasons that you're talking about specifically and and see this aging Carl Malone and the numbers that he put up I mean, that season. But um, they, were they were they were old. They were older players. They weren't at their prime. They were they were falling out. But like who else? Okay, did they and play? older, I mean, older back then. Older back then is you know if he's still putting up numbers, who gives a shit about AJ? AJ ain't nothing but a number if you're still producing. Uh, but either way, I mean, yeah, the the different style of play is too is 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 probably the hardest thing to decipher as far as as which way you went. But um, I, I I you can't make the argument that they didn't have superstars on that team. I mean, this is a time that you didn't watch basketball, so you don't know who those who half those names even are. I'm watching the game yesterday, and they're like, all-time leading scorer for the Nuggets. Oh, who the fuck is that? I didn't know half well, the guys never, they were talking about got retired numbers. Yeah, because we didn't watch them back then. You know what I'm well, saying? Nuggets so you don't know. Nugget, the Nuggets franchise isn't historically good, but, Doc, defense is not clotheslining someone and tackling them in midair. This isn't football. This is basketball. So that whole bullshit, they play defense back it's then. It's not clotheslining, goddammit. It's bodying up. Yeah. So based on the rules back in the 90s, those should have been fouls. So – that's the rest fault for not blowing the whistle. So I mean, that's not defense. Let the boys play. That's playing. That's playing football. Let the boys play. Luke, <laughs> let him play. MLB, Luke. I know you're not a big baseball guy. You're an Orioles fan. Who do you have as the MLB goat? Yeah, I'm gonna go uh, Cal Ripken Jr. here. It's, it's Iron Man right there. Nobody's gonna break his record. Longest amount of like unbroken streak of amount of games played this season. Yeah, fuck you, Luke. He's like the best shortstop. Yeah, he's like the best shortstop. I took a switch up. I want a, I want an Orioles player, Calvin Jr. Nobody's gonna beat his record. He's a goat. He, I was, if you can play every game, guess what? Play every every single game. Guess what? You can't lose. Are you, are you talking about? To call for, you what year? What year was that? Oh, hold up. Let me look it up. I was like, well, that was the nineties and two thousand. Yeah. Let me know. 2000s. Let me know how many. Let me let me know what season he played one hundred and sixty-two games. Uh, let's see. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to him. Playing that many games in a row, though. It's, it's Iron Man right there. It's, yeah, it's, dy- it's dynamic, but I was going to rip whoever you no, had. I was going to. No, I was, I was going to go Babe Ruth, honestly. And I was going to rip you for that one, too, because Babe <laughs> Ruth in this era of baseball couldn't fucking play the game. He could not hit all yeah, speed pitches. Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth is the fucking legend. No, I love Babe Ruth because he's a Yankee, but he just could not compete in this era like he did back then. Fastballs only was the thing back in that day. You, I don't know if he did these curveballs and knuckle and knuckle balls and splitters and sliders like he did at that high of a level. And fuck that. He's not even the best Yankee of all time. So Derek Jeter's best shortstop of all time and the best Yankee of all time. Not the GOAT, but he's better than Cal Ripken. No. 
Yeah, no, I got I got to agree with that. Really, the only thing that Cal Ripken had was that active. Uh, I think it was like twelve seasons or something that he oh, played yeah. every single game. Phenomenal. Uh, also, 19, 19 time All Star, World Series champion, two time AL MVP, Rookie of the Year, two time Golden Glove. He's got some stats behind him. He's got some hard behind him. Jeter's got more gold gloves, less MVPs, doesn't have one. He's a five-time champion. Not to make consecutive games played. Jeter also fucking doing steroids, too. Jeter was not on steroids. I think out of they, anyone in that steroid era, Jeter was one of the guys that was not on steroids. The Yankees are all doing steroids. No, I, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll give you Sheffield, and I'll give you A-Rod and Giambi, but I'm not giving you Derek Jeter. <laughs> Just because they opened up to it. It's the only reason you're taking no, those no, out. G- you you can tell if the guy's taking steroids. Jeter never had no. The body Jeter wasn't. Jeter never took steroids. Yeah. Jeter wasn't a power Jeter hitter. Jeter would have had a hell of a lot more home runs. Jeter was one of the clutchest playoff hitters <laughs> of all time. Obviously nicknamed Mister November, but not my goat, Doc. My goat is Ken Griffey Jr. or Barry Bonds. I can't pick. I understand the man took steroids, but before steroids, the dude had a Hall of Fame career. Before the steroid era that he that started showing, he was on that steroid peak. He was a Hall of Famer in Pittsburgh. He was a Hall of Famer in his early career with San Francisco. He was one of the best hitters in baseball without steroids. The steroids just helped him get bigger, faster, stronger, at a higher level, at a faster pace. Helped him also stay healthier. That's why guys at his age were doing it, like Roger Clemens, who was a better pitcher. Roger Clemens was a better pitcher before steroids. But I go King Griffey as well because if Griffey didn't get hurt, I believe he'd have been the home run king. He's one of the best defenders out there in the outfield as well. Fucking 10 gold gloves. It's one of the smoothest swings in baseball we've ever seen. So I go Ken Griffey or Barry Bonds. Doc, I know you had two as well. Yeah, I got two as well. And, uh, no, because Barry Bonds tarnished the game the way that he did, I, I don't even have him in my top 1,000 uh, for for <laughs> greatest baseball players of all time. I don't even know if I have him in my top 10,000. Uh, Barry Bonds is a piece of shit. Um, I can't say that, actually, because everybody literally did it. But – uh, Barry Bonds, honestly, because of how he did it, I'm not putting him anywhere near being the greatest baseball player of all time. But uh, no, my goat, my goat, I am going with two. I'm going one on both sides of the ball. My hitter is going to be Ken Griffey Jr., just one of the most energetic, electrifying players to watch. Um, did things that, you know, in a way and in, in such a quickness uh, that we haven't seen in so long. Um, 630 career home runs. Let me see here. Let me let me pull this back up. Uh, what was his overall? I think he had like a 284 career average, but early on in his career, uh, the first where the hell? Yeah, I mean his bat, his batting average took a hit when he got to his fatter days, and that happens with longevity. We understand that. Yeah, and he had a rough string uh, between like 2001, 2004 of uh, a lot of injury prone seasons that really cut him down. But when you look at a guy, 22 years in the league. Um, with the injury problems that he faced and still putting up 630 home runs, I mean, if he played full seasons like so many other people did, he hands down would have been number one over Barry Bonds. I mean, he was so close to doing that. Four more years of of healthy ball. Uh, even the year before that, 111, uh, 72 games in 95, 111 in 94. I mean, if the injuries were cut down, this guy is easily the home run champion. And then my other goat that I'm going with, uh, this one's going to be on the pitching side of the ball. I am going with one of my uh, favorite players ever to watch play the game. 
Uh, again, ener- uh, energetic and electrifying. Pedro Martinez, former Montreal, Boston great. Uh, had a string of seven seasons uh, of ERAs below 2.4. Uh, career ERA of 2.93, only 219 wins. Uh, but again, had he had a couple issues uh, later on in his career, uh, staying healthy and, and throwing the ball. But just a phenomenal baseball player, one of the guys greatest to ever do it. All I have to say about that is, who's your daddy? I mean, fucking Yankees own that motherfucker, dude. Fuck Pedro. I think he's a great, but I ain't saying he's a goat. Can't do it. Quick, not with not with quick. Randy Johnson out there and, and Nolan Ryan. So quick, quick stat right here. So Kerwin Jr.'s consecutive games of 2,632. I mean, that is fucking ridiculous. The only player even relatively close to him was Lou Gehrig. You all know what happened to him. But besides that, no, no player is even close to 1,000 games to him. Yeah, so that is the Iron Man. Yeah. Lou Gehrig, Lou Gehrig had, had a lot. He was close. By the way, Lou Gehrig's better than Kerwin Jr. as well. No, no, he was 500 games away. <laughs> the thing was, is if Lou Gehrig doesn't die at an early age, we're talking Ken Griffey being home run king. At the time when Babe Ruth had the record, Lou Gehrig was potentially going to have more home runs than Babe Ruth. Hey, you talking about longevity. It's all about take care of your body. Lou Gehrig well, got to take mean, care of your body a little better. Well, I mean, <laughs> he didn't take care of his body. He just had a disease. That's that's a little different there. Hey, take care of your body. Uh, let's move on. Well, I'm going to say it real quick. My goat with golf, I know we're not going to talk about it, is Tiger Woods. Just want to say that I wear his hat literally where I go. Goat of golf is Tiger. Doc, I want to hear your NFL goat. This one should be a question. Doc, you thinking? I know you have that mute button on. Just you guys, you guys go first. You guys go first. I'll go first. I'll take it. I'm gonna go Peyton Manning. Um, oh shit. I I do think I do think yes. People are gonna say, "Oh, Tom Brady's got the most Super Bowls," and I get it. You know, Tom Brady's got the most everything. God bless him. He's got the records too. He played the longevity. It took him a lot longer. So, like, if we're saying like LeBron and MJ, don't know how the, the the race was with LeBron getting those records compared to MJ and all those guys. But it took Tom a lot longer than guys like Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, and Brett Favre to get those records. And if I'm if I'm looking at a quarterback that I want, the guy that's going to dissect the game, uh, arm arm strength, arm accuracy, the way that he calls audibles. I'm going Peyton. I think Peyton's IQ of the game is at the highest IQ of football. He's one of the smartest players, obviously, which we're talking about. He's also one of the most accurate quarterbacks. Yes, did he have a little more weapons than Tom Brady? Yeah, he did. But Tom Brady had a top 10 defense every year. He won a Super Bowl. He had the, the, arguably the top two coach of all time with uh, Bill Belichick. You could argue that um, the coach, uh, Bill Walsh, from the 49ers is number one. Those two will be one or two. Also had a top five, top ten. Top 10 offensive line every single year he won a Super Bowl as well. So I'm sorry. I'll give him respect for going to Tampa winning a Super Bowl, but they were already a quarterback away. They already had the weapons there. Yes, they did add Gronk and A.B. and, and playoff Lenny. But yeah, I think, I the, think, I think they, the purpose is to talk about who the GOAT is, not why yeah. somebody is not. Well, I'm, you're, you're, you're writing the resume this. for Brady. Here. <laughs> yeah, oh, you, you just, but, yeah, you just made my argument already. All right. So, so, so it's, it's only Tom, based Tom on race without a question. So a rings more because that's the narrative you push with you know you said LeBron's not the goat or LeBron's the goat but the narrative with that one wasn't rings so like that's okay. the problem I have with goat talk. Well, wait, what's another thing? Wins, most wins. Tom Brady, most career passing attempts. Tom Brady, most, most interceptions. Passing, most oh, completions. Oh, oh, most, most interceptions. touchdowns. Most interceptions. 
It doesn't matter. All I, the thing is, what <laughs> I, I think Tom passes? Brady. The thing is, what I think Tom Brady, Doc. I think his last game in New England was a pick six, and his last game in Tampa, I believe, was an interception as well. well what was Brady's first season? Uh, not a Super Bowl. He was a, he won no, I uh, here. Here's my thing. Yeah, first, here's my first thing as he far started. as here's my thing as well, far as Tom Brady. Started. Hey, relax. Game here's my thing. Year. Game manager. Here's, one. here's my thing. Y'all so shut the crazy. fuck up. <laughs> God damn. Uh, the, 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 you talk about the GOAT between Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Uh, I've got to look at the playoffs between the two. Uh, took Peyton Manning a long time to get past Tom Brady in the playoffs. So that's ultimately what drives it for me. If you want to stack those two up, I'm putting Brady higher than, than Manning. The question, though, is really is the GOAT a quarterback? Because, like – these other positions like receiver and defensive players. And it ain't minding what I picked. It ain't minding what I picked. Is Brady the GOAT in yours, or did you pick somebody else? Nope. I didn't even pick quarterback. Who'd you, pick? Who'd you go, Doc? I went with the legend Jerry Rice, 49er, uh, played in Oakland, Seattle, uh, 13 Pro Bowl selections, 1,500 career receptions, over 1,500, over almost 23,000 receiving yards, 197 touchdowns, even 10 rushing touchdowns for you. Uh, but three Super Bowls and four appearances. Um, I mean, led the league in receptions, yards, touchdowns six times. Uh, just an, I mean, I look at I look at what a single guy can do for a team, and more times than not, it is a quarterback. We all know what the quarterback is capable of. The quarterback is the backbone of the team. But what Jerry Rice was able to do as a receiver like nobody else has been able to do still holds the record for most receiving yards. Um, the, the impact that he had on a team as a wide receiver, you can't discount that. I think that that, that holds so much more value uh, than the quarterback because we've seen Tom Brady do it with no receivers, which is awesome. We've seen him do it with a fucking with a full rotation. You know what I'm saying? But Jerry Rice came in and just dominated as a receiver his entire career. And if we're going opposite of quarterback, like I like that doc. I like to to, to pick that because uh, obviously people are going to pick quarterback most of the time. I'm going to go prime time. I, I think the greatest corner that this game's ever seen. He locked down everybody. He changed two franchises: one the Dallas Cowboys that kind of completed that that dynasty they had. And obviously, turned around the 49ers when he went there when Steve Young was a starting quarterback. And, yes, they had Jerry Rice as well. But, you know, Jerry won it, won it prime there because he was tired of going against them when he was a Dallas Cowboy. I think Jerry Rice is the greatest player that's not a quarterback. And, I mean, he's shut down all the top wide receivers. Obviously, yeah, he got some bad games against Jerry, but those guys went back and forth against each other. And I just think it's prime time ultimately. Luke, I looked like you had something to say. I was I was queuing up for you. I thought you were gonna cut it and probably say Ray Lewis or some shit. No, I mean we're, we're talking defense. Ray Lewis or every you know fucking studs the defensive play defensive position change change the franchise in Baltimore. Really making that fucking defensive team up in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean I, I would that, say Ed, that defense won the Super Bowl for them in two thousand as well. Well, Ed Reed wasn't part of that team, but yeah, Ray no, Lewis, Lewis was though. Yeah, I don't think Ed Reed's the greatest. I don't think he. I think he's an arguably the greatest safety position. I don't think he's the greatest defensive player. I, I do think yes, you can make an argument for Ray Lewis. I love Ray Lewis. I think he's one of the top linebackers, if not the top linebacker in the NFL it's, history. It's between him and like Urlacher. However, you want to argue Lawrence, it, but you can go Lawrence Taylor too, who's considered a linebacker. Oh, overall, no, I still think Ray Lewis got him beat by far. 
The only thing with Lawrence Taylor is he's he's one of the most dominant pass rushers, and he's an MVP, league MVP, and he's got two two Super Bowl rings, just right, like Ray Lewis. Lawrence so. Taylor's like he was almost a defensive lineman. Well, yeah, that's the whole he, pass he rusher of, outside linebacker. Yeah, yeah. maybe we got to just, do, maybe just gotta do a segment with a goat for for each position because I also want to talk about my man in the running back game, Walter Payton, because I'm kind of torn. I mean. Jerry Rice, I went with to kind of try and be different and think where nobody really does because the wide receivers as a career really don't get much credit. But uh, Walter Payton definitely, definitely up there as a goat as well. Ain't, ain't, ain't nobody run like OJ. No, no one runs like Barry. Ain't no, no one ain't drives, nobody drives no one, like no, OJ. Yeah, no one drives like OJ. Yeah. Barry was the best. Barry was the best running back. <laughs> ain't nobody run like OJ. And, OJ's and best Barry, runner. Barry Hant, Barry gifted Emmett Smith that rushing record. Barry had that record for a while, and he played way less seasons. He was the hardest running back to tackle in football. Barry had As, what? Uh, had what uh, running running record? He was the rush. He had the rushing record, and then Emmett took it from him. But it took Emmett a few years. When after did Barry have the rushing record? He's number two. Are you well, sure about he that? Would have had the, he would have had the record if he didn't retire. You sure about I mean, that? Who's who's number two, Mark? Might be Walter then, but he it's also Walter. didn't play. Didn't also play nearly as long. He's right behind Walter then at number three. So, and he was literally the hardest. He was literally the whole thing in Detroit. There was no defense in Detroit. There was nothing. It was Barry Sanders and Barry Sanders only. So, I mean, you, you can say, I mean, I love Walter. I mean, I think Walter is one of the greatest players in the game's history. I just, I just don't think Emmitt Smith's number one for running back. I mean, we can make an argument for Walter and Emmett, or Barry any day. No, I, I have, I have Walter over Emmitt Smith, even though Emmitt Smith is the all-time rushing leader. You see, to me, sometimes stats can be misleading. It's, it just depends. Well, it's like Barry LeBron retired. being the all-time leader in points. He just played longer. Well, Barry Barry chose to retire because he got abused in Detroit. Like, it wasn't – I mean, he still had fucking like six, seven more years in his career. I mean, back then the running back went on way longer than they do now. So I mean, Well, yeah, Walter did, his, Walter did as well. He just – he got sick. Yeah, well, Barry just – it's like it's like Megatron. He got abused and he <clears> said, I'm done. I can't I can't yeah. do Detroit no more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't blame him. Megatron probably gonna be the best best overall ever. I, I've never seen two cornerbacks line up on no. on the line on a receiver besides Megatron. No. Sorry, I just that that, that picture of him against the Saints where two receivers are lined up that's on fine. the line against him. That's fine. Randy Moss used to do that the same thing that Megatron did at earlier at a different time frame. And I think T.O. is a better receiver than Randy Moss. I think T.O. Mm-hmm. T.O.'s records are actually the stats are identical to Randy with one less season played. So. I mean, and T.O. was a cancer to the to his teams. T.O. was a fucking blocker, and he could run every route in the tree that you gave to him. Wasn't like T.O. was a monster. Was. He just he absolutely was a cancer. I know. Put put Megatron on a different team though. What happens? He, I mean, Megatron was a freak. Well, we won't know that because he never left Detroit. Yeah. He just quit. Yeah, That's, that that don't make you the goat. You you you. I mean, he could have been. Could have been. I mean, if you if you accomplish something in your short time, you've got the argument. But if you didn't accomplish nothing yeah. in that short time, and you just I mean, gave up, he did. I mean, I, I haven't looked up his accomplishments, but the the way he was feared by cornerbacks was problem, different than other players. The problem with me is position. that they allowed him in as a first ballot Hall of Famer, and guys like T.O., Chris Carter, Sterling Sharp, who is not in the Hall of Fame. That balled out in Green Bay had to retire early because of, ne- of neck injuries. Who was a top receiver in the '90s? That everyone says he was the most feared, one of the most feared receivers in the '90s. Aren't in or had to wait. You made T.O. wait three tries. Who has the stats? 
He has the fucking Super Bowl appearance. I mean, the man's a monster, but the guy like him, Chris Carter, same thing. We made Chris Carter one of the best hands of all time. Wait, I'm sorry. Like, man's not even a top 25 in stats. Like, I, you just can't – you can't do that. And then you made guys like Sherrill Davis wait, who was a Super Bowl MVP. So Hall of Fame is a popular contest for the NFL at this point. Exactly. But, hey, boys – we are going to wrap this up. Like I said, we're going to have plenty of goat talk as we do this show. It's always going to, it's always going to get brought up. It's just the way it is. But from the All About the Balls podcast, Chris, we miss you. We'll get to you in on Thursday. Miss Doc, you, Chris. Doc, it was great to hear your voice. Great to hear your takes, too. You had some good ones tonight. We didn't agree with it, but great takes. Way to try hard. Luke, yep. man, good good to have you in here again. <laughs> good to make sure you made through this episode with those margaritas. But hey, I'm Mark Davis. I'm Mark Davis. That is Lou Brule. That is Nick the Doc Skirkwins. Shout out to Chris. We'll get him back Thursday. This is All About the Boss Podcast, and we are out. Thank you for checking out another episode of All About the Boss Podcast. We want to thank all of our listeners and supporters of the Sack House. You can listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at the Sack House. <laughs>